0: Hello and welcome to Building Community with Whitney and Anu. We are two Asian-American Millennials who aim to empower our communities through our stories and words, one cup of tea at a time. joining us this week we are going to talk about the lies our parents have told us and when we thought of this episode it seems like a pretty serious topic but for the sake of this episode we are going to include various aspects of what a lie means so that could be anything from a myth that we may have heard about the world and how our cultures are or how we're supposed to live life projections that our parents may have had or dreams that they've may have had for us or maybe you did have parents who lied to you a lot but in any way We felt that the words our parents say to us shape our identities and how we see the world. And so it was important to address.
1: When I think about the lies that my parents told me, some of them are funny lies, some of them are, you know, a little bit more serious, but yeah, I think we're going to be touching on a wide range of topics this week.
0: Definitely. One of the first things I think about, because I think a lot of people have different relationships with their parents, where in American culture, you're seeing... Like I think about sitcoms where it's like you have a parent who you typically have one that's pretty lax and you typically have one that's really strict. And there's that sense of duality. Mm -hmm. I feel like with my parents in particular, I had one parent who wasn't very present and one parent who is very present, but they both influenced me in various ways. I think one of them that they both, one thing that they both wanted me to do was get a degree and get married and have children and to kind of follow this life script. And I think a lot of people feel that it'll be a safe kind of pain-free life. Did you ever have any experiences with that?
1: Yeah, I can relate to that. I think my parents kind of, it felt like they taught me that life was sort of like this linear path Mm -hmm. where you go to school, you get good grades, you get into an amazing college of your parents' dreams, (laughs) and um, you work for a little bit, maybe get like a higher degree, get married, have kids, repeat cycle. I think that was sort of a myth that they they told us because I don't think life always, you know, goes linearly. Different things come up, you experience different situations and the path is not always that straight. So I think that's that's one thing that was different for me. Some of my friends definitely took that more linear path, but for me, I think I needed to kind of shaped that into something that I was comfortable with. Like I wasn't, uh, I'm I'm currently not married, but like I, I wouldn't have been ready to get married at like 25 or 26, which, you know, would be the usual age for an Indian woman to get married. So that's just my path. I had to do what was most comfortable for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. I completely relate to that. I think that when I think about The generation our parents grew up in where I'm assuming that your parents grew up in 50s 60s is that correct yeah okay so we're we're the children of boomer parents and so I think they grew up in a completely different world than than we are right now and so when I think about the advice that I've been given because I too had this idea where like I I remember telling you that I knew what grad school was when I was four years old and so Mm -hmm. you would go to school you'd get amazing grades you would go to this amazing university, Harvard, Yale, UCLA, et cetera, you would have one of the holy Asian trifecta jobs, which is lawyer, doctor, engineer, mm-hmm. or you could be a nurse. Like that's, that's okay, but not as good as doctor in my family. And then you would eventually, in my case, you'd marry a nice Asian man, yeah. right? Like, and you'd, you'd have a few kids and you would own a house and you'd kind of, that was kind of the life script for you. And I definitely deviated from that. But I think back then, that was the American dream. And there's, there's a whole debate on whether or not the American dream still exists. I have thoughts on that. But I feel like for them, that was the dream. And that was what they wanted for us as well. But what they don't realize is that it's not necessarily for us because the world has changed so much. And it's like, there are people who thrive without degrees. And they're like, I'm not married, but I'm engaged. And I don't want children. I don't have one of the Asian holy trifecta jobs. And so even though I have very much deviated from the life script, I still feel like I'm achieving my own version of what my parents would want for me, which is to be successful and happy. That's what I hope at least.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I know like uh, Whitney and I had talked about this before. One of the lies that we talked about or myths, you know, however you want to look at it. But you had mentioned that, you know, your your mom growing up had told you, you I know what's best for you. Can you expand upon that phrase?
0: Definitely. So my mom has done so much for me growing up. And she definitely took a lot of time to take care of us, definitely tried to guide us and all those things. And so it got to a point where I wasn't really sure how to had to figure things out for myself. Like I was afraid to think critically and I was afraid to think about what I would want outside of, outside of that collective culture that so many Asian Americans deal with. And so my mom would often say, I know what's best for you. Like, I know what's best for you and I know you better than yourself. Like when I first came out to her, she didn't really believe me. She was very much like, no, you're not gay. Like my child's not gay and stuff like that. And she was very, she was so matter of fact about it. And for me, that was like, okay, well, I understand how you came to that conclusion, but that's not really how it is. This is me telling you that I'm, that I'm different from this life script that I've had. And it's going to be okay. But she was like, no, I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. And when I think about that, I don't know what it's like to have children and I'm not going to know what it's like to have children. But I just feel like that's a weird thing to tell people where it's like, How can you have that at the time, it felt like it was a sense of entitlement where it's like you, it's like a mind controlling type of sensation, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Or, um, where it's like the fact that some external person knows you better than yourself. Like that's, what is that? if not mind control.
1: Yeah. I get that. Yeah.
0: I also, when I think about my childhood and my young adulthood, teenager years, thought about how I was like, I did a lot of sneaking around when I was a teenager. I I was very secretive about a lot of things I was doing. And none of the things I was doing was really bad, like by my definitions. But a lot of it, like I would hang out with my friends a lot, I would stay out really late, I would try to do the things that they were interested in doing. Um, I wouldn't tell my parents where I was like, and that was a huge thing for my mom to this day. I live like 500 miles away from her. And she's like, where are you? Like, are you at home? And I'm like, um, I spend my days at home. It's COVID times. Like I haven't left my house. Actually, I did go to Starbucks last week. But yeah, because I'm an adult and I live here, our relationship is, is a lot better. I feel more comfortable telling her things where it's like, oh, I do these things. But I think those early projections were really hard for me. And there was this sensation of like, oh, I'm going to only be the only person who's there for you. Like, I think my mom was like, It's just me who's going to be there for you. Like not your friends, like not your whoever, like it's me. Like it's always going to be me. And so that's not a very, if you rely just on one person, no matter who that is, that's definitely going to hurt you in the long run because you need a community.
1: When I think of that phrase, I know what's best for you. It reminds me of this story or this memory that I had with my mom one time, this was probably in my early 20s. We had both went to watch a movie together. We watched uh, *Tangled*, which is that movie with Rapunzel. So cute. Yeah, so great movie. Um, but we were in the theater, and there was a scene where the witch in *Tangled* she like locks up Rapunzel in her castle, and then she has like a little like musical number. The witch does where <laughs> she's like singing "Mother Knows Best." it's like this weirdly like sinister uh (laughs) musical number (laughs) and I just remember my mother my mother turning to me in the theater and she was like Sienu mother knows best I was just (laughs) like what like that's like the timing of this is all wrong like this witch like literally like takes this princess and locks her up in a castle and then start singing "Mother Knows Best." Like this is not the best time to you know, prove a point, but um, solidarity in the theater. <laughs> my mother didn't really relate to that that time. In all seriousness, my mom was great. Nothing comparable to you know <laughs> the, the, the witch in that movie, but I do feel like she operated in, in kind of like the same way as yours. Like she was. Very overprotecting. She always thought she knew the right path for me to take. And I tend to agree with you, Whitney. I feel like no one really knows that right path for your kid to take. A lot of parents want to steer their kids into this decision or that, which I understand. You know, you're doing that based on your own life experiences and you just want the best for them. But I think that can also inadvertently take some of the choice away from them, which is also important. The person who knows best is that person. You know, one day I would like to become a parent. I would want my kid to, I would want to raise my kid in such a way where I cultivate and nurture their self-confidence and self-worth to the point where they're able to make solid decisions by themselves. My parents were great, but that is like one thing I kind of wish I had is just like more, like more empowerment, I I guess, to Mm -hmm. make decisions by myself and be confident in those decisions. I don't necessarily think there's like any, any right path for anyone to take. It's just whatever path best fits you.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree where You know, when I think about the term, I know what's best for you. And I think about the development of a child to a teenager to an adult. I think what happens, at least in my experience, I think what happened was that there was a point where my mother did know what was best for me. Like as a child, like you don't know what the hell you're doing. And so you're just like, you're just kind of living and you're going to school and you're trying to make friends and all that stuff. But then you become a teenager. And if you're treated in that same box that you were as a child, you aren't given those certain tools. That you will need in adulthood, and so it's like if you, if you have a parent who's still like, I know what's best for you, then there's a chance that when you're a teenager, when you're an adult, you could be like, I don't know what's best for me, and then you come back and you're just, you never, it never separates. Like I think, the parent-child relationship is one of those unique relationships where it's supposed to separate at some point, and it evolves and it, and it keeps, it keeps evolving to the point where you're both independent um entities again even though like the first 18 years of your life you're you're joined to them at some point i feel like there isn't really a linear path at all i think that's that is the ultimate myth where it's like there is a life script and there's a certain way to happiness i think the american dream definitely is to blame for part of that where it's you have you work hard and you have this linear path but what do you do when you're growing up in this generation Where you increasingly find that that dream is no longer achievable. And if that's your standard where you work really hard and you become really successful, then like most people our age work really hard. And yet most of us are in debt. We live in these tiny apartments. We have these jobs. Like we're going through a pandemic right now we're going through a fascist regime. It's like, we we just have all these things that our parents may have dealt with, but not to the, in the sense that we are now dealing with. And we also, I don't think we were given the tools to do that because of this linear path, because they, I don't know if they took that into an account. I don't know if that makes sense, but.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it makes sense. Um, yeah. And I think that's like, that's the hard part about trying to decide what's best for a person is like every person goes through their own generational challenges, their own personal challenges. We have the societal script for everyone to prescribe to, but that doesn't make sense for 7 billion people or, or more to prescribe to the same script. It just doesn't. We're all unique and we all have different things that make us feel meaningful and give us contentment and all of that. So Yeah, I think this like universal script to happiness and success. I'm not a big believer of that.
0: Absolutely, I think everyone needs to have room and have be empowered to make mistakes and to learn from the mistakes. Because I'm looking, I'm reflecting on various things right now where I'm like, you know, I think the biggest life lessons did come from mistakes. And some of them did come from accidents, but if I didn't have that room, then I probably wouldn't have I don't know where I would have been, but not here. So I'm thankful that I was able to eventually find that where it's, it's like, oh, it's okay to, to experiment and try different things." and then that way you have that knowledge of self. There's a really cool song. I think it's, it's by Black Star or Talib Kweli. and it's called "Knowledge of Self." and then in parentheses, self-determination." and it's all about like that knowledge of self. And, learning about that. And then she has this one line where it's like, knowledge of self is like life after death. And I think that's true, where you just have to get to that yourself. I'll send the song to you. It's great.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe we can put the song in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So that's one lie. What other lies can we get into? Hmm.
0: A lot of Asian people growing up, they have these weird superstitions that we grew up with and so at least for me like when we first were coming up with this episode i thought of these weird superstitions in japanese culture we are fascinated by ghosts and we are also terrified by ghosts and so Uh there's some there's some things where like one that really stands out is the way to summon ghosts right where it's like if you hold an apple in one hand and you hold a candle in another hand and it's got to be midnight i think you you look in a mirror at midnight and you take a bite of the apple, then you're supposed to see the person you're going to marry in the reflection. Wow. Have you ever, ever hear about that? That's kind of a kind wow. of a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea where it came from. I haven't heard anyone else say it. So I don't know if that was just some weird thing my mom came up with. But she told me that. And I remember having this dream later, where I, I had this dream. And I did the thing because I was too scared to do it in real life. Because you know, growing up and like ghosts and all that. So I did it. And I saw this lady like in the I don't remember what she looked like, but in the mirror. And I was like, well, that didn't work. So whatever. That's like a weird kind of myth. Kind of weird things with the mirror. Like you're not supposed to look in the mirror in the dark when you're walking through a dark house. Uh Because then that could be like, a portal for um, for an angry ghost to find you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. So like every so often, like I know rationally, that's not real. But like, Every so often, like I try to avoid it. If I'm like in, if I'm like walking around my house and like I like glance in the mirror, I'm not just like, oh my God. But I remember that thing that my mom would tell me where it's like, you're like tempting the ghost if you look into it.
1: That one um, superstition about seeing the person that you're eventually going to marry. So if you look in the mirror, you'll see yourself, right? Yeah. Okay. Which, which is who you're going to marry is yourself and someone else, right?
0: Yeah. So the idea is that you have to bite the apple and it has to be and the candle has to be lit and you have to, it has to be midnight. So if it's, if you do it at 1201, apparently it doesn't work. Okay. But like, (laughs) so you see yourself and the person, I guess.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. I I've never tried it to this day. So if I do, I'll let you know.
1: All right. Yeah. Um, interesting. I, I'm too scared to try it. It sounds very intriguing though. It is yeah, <laughs> I
0: yeah, I don't know, I mean, the first time I live with the person I'm gonna marry, but it's, <laughs> it's just funny to to think about that,
1: yeah, no i I totally relate, um, our family definitely had some superstitions, too, I remember like my parents had this one where like we for some reason, like you weren't supposed to cut your nails at night, or else I don't know what was gonna happen, but you just weren't supposed to. And an interesting thing, a lot of these superstitions actually made me a very anxious kid, um, and I'm not blaming the superstitions or the culture or any of that. It just brought out my inner anxiety so in my mid twenties, one thing I like told myself was um, because I have had you know a struggle with anxiety, was that I was going to sort of fight these superstitions a little bit and not you know, not let them dictate my life too much. So an interesting that I, interesting thing that I did was I did an opposite of like whatever this superstition was just so I wouldn't be scared of it anymore. So <laughs> that was the way I handled it. That was like something that helped me just get over the anxieties of superstitions because I know culturally, like different cultures have different superstitions. And I think if you're going to pay attention to all of them, it's it's going to be a little limiting sometimes. So you sort of have to pick and choose or you sort of have to decide just how much weight you're going to give to some of those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that superstitions, they go into... It's kind of that gray area with myths, right? So I think that they're interesting, but it's very limiting if you let them dictate your life. Like I also... Food is a huge part of Asian culture. Japanese culture is no exception where I grew up thinking like I have the story one time where I had these baby chopsticks when I was like five and I like stabbed my rice with them, just like with them two together. And my grandma got really anxious because apparently that's like a symbol of death. Like if you put, if you stab the chopsticks into the rice and I didn't really think of anything of it at the time. And I was also told that same day that it's bad luck to play with your rice because it shows that you're ungrateful. You're not being grateful for the food you have. Interesting. And so if you're ungrateful for the food you have, the universe might give you less food next time. Uh huh. And so I, I thought that was really interesting. I still enjoyed like playing with food. I'm also somewhat of a fidgety person. And so I'll just like kind of fidget with things sometimes. But actually, I looked it up, and it is true that with the if you put the chopsticks like in the rice that's they have that at funerals as like a decoration. I didn't know that at the time, but that is that's like yet another way to attract ghosts also like sometimes in some Japanese households, there's a bowl of salt at the front of the house, huh. and that's supposed to create like a barrier between you and evil spirits.
1: I had no idea that there was like this whole um uh, thing around ghosts and Japanese culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a whole thing. There's so many I grew up with. They just kind of casually come up. There isn't a salt bowl like in my mom's house or my grandma's house. But I've heard that in Japan, there's there's like a pile of salt. And I don't know if they got that from like, you know, if you put the salt behind your shoulder, it's supposed to get in the demon's eyes or oh, something yeah. like that. Or <laughs> I don't know, like something about salt and like evil people, they just don't mix very well. So it's it's really interesting I feel like it's influenced my spirituality a bit where it's like I I consider myself agnostic but I'm also spiritual where I believe that there are a lot of things that we can't really explain and I think that's okay and that's part of the mystery of the world and Mm -hmm. it's it's okay to believe in other things and so that definitely has had an influence on me for sure
1: for me just looking back on one of the biggest superstitions that like, I paid attention to was my parents had this thing about not starting things on Tuesday. So Tuesday was supposed to be a less auspicious day than other days. So that really affected me to the point where I didn't like to do job interviews on Tuesday. I didn't like to register for college classes on Tuesday. It just symbolized like an inauspicious beginning to me. and that's what I meant by like it really affecting my life because it did like if I don't schedule classes on Tuesday, when registration first opens up, then most likely I'm not going to get into those classes and they'll fill up. If I don't do a job interview on Tuesday and that's the interview date that's offered to me, then, you know, I kind of, that's not setting a great impression to the employer and so on. So that's kind of what I meant by like, Deciding where you're going to draw the line with those kinds of superstitions. And when I said I do the opposite, I I really do. Um, It took me a long time. But nowadays, I try to purposefully put things on Tuesday and do things on Tuesday. Just because I had so much trouble with it when I was younger. It's just a way for me to calm those anxieties a little bit by taking control of the situation. And... I think every generation, um, and culture has superstitions for different reasons. Like Winnie, I don't know too much about like the playing with the rice uh, situation, but you know, it's possible that that was something parents told their kids just to like get them to just stop playing eat, with their food properly. Yeah, yeah. So, We never know exactly like where the origin sometimes of superstitions come from, but for me, I think it's just important to not let them be limiting, um, which is how I've chosen to uh, live my life: is to be respectful of them to a certain degree, but also not let them dictate important aspects of my life too much.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can definitely relate to kind of reclaiming that power over the superstition because the superstition it is a barrier, and it's meant to. I think that the intention is protection for a lot of these things, but it gets to a point where life doesn't really, life doesn't accommodate most superstitions. Right. So like, it's, yeah. it's true if you do have a job interview on Tuesday and that's the only time they can talk to you and it's job you really want. Like, are you really not going to do the Tuesday interview? Like you probably will still do it. So I think it's great that you've definitely reclaimed that for yourself and been like, and be like, oh, this is something that my parents told me. And I think maybe for them it worked, but maybe for you it doesn't work. And that's okay. And that's definitely a theme that each generation goes through. It makes me think of certain numbers. I don't know if you have like a lucky number or anything. But, but for me, the lucky number was 18 in my family. And I don't really know why it was that. But my yeah. mom used to... my mom. That was my, one of my mom's favorite numbers. She likes the number 2 and the number 18. An unlucky number for us has been the number 3 which is kind of weird because it's like right after two. But I think it got to a point where I found myself being like, oh, if I have three of something, I have to have four of something or two of something because then it'll bring me some weird energy. If I, it's like the balance is off, I guess. Yeah. And so I've tried to go against that quite a bit where like three, like things come in threes all the time. And so if I have three phone calls or three meetings and they don't go well, I try not to attribute it to the fact that there was three meetings. I try to attribute it to the fact that those meetings just didn't go well. Or if I have three art pieces, I don't rush to make a fourth one anymore. Or I don't just show two. Like it's uh-huh. it's just um I try to go against that. And I sometimes I just embrace the fact that it's there's three of them and that's fine.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. In some cultures, three is actually considered very good luck, isn't it? Like some, like you hear the phrase like, oh, third time's a charm or good things come in Mm. free and things like that. So yeah, it's it's definitely interesting how like different cultures attribute different things to, you know, these um, symbols or numbers or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. What about animals? Did you have anything with animals?
1: For Indian people, cows actually represent a sacred animal. So, a lot of Indian people you'll find do not eat beef for that reason. Um, also, for religious reasons. Did you have any within yours? A little
0: bit. And I think this is unique to my family because um, both my grandma and my mom are scared. They don't like snakes. A lot of people don't, in my family don't like snakes. Yeah. And I actually think they're kind of cool. I wouldn't want to own one, be responsible for one, but I, I think I want to be friends with someone who owns one just to like hang out with one. But so, I used to, I taught myself how to whistle when I was in the second grade. Uh And so one time I was whistling at night and my mom was like, if you whistle, then you'll attract snakes. And I just had this image of like 20,000 snakes, just like slithering into my house. Um, there was that, but also apparently if you dream of a white snake, then it's supposed to be good luck the next day. And so I don't know. I think in Japanese culture, we, um, I think dragons and cranes. Cranes are a symbol of peace and um, they're in a lot of wedding imagery as well because they're a symbol of of love and unity. Also the the peace crane, the origami peace crane is mm-hmm. a is really popular in Japanese culture. And so I think I think that's like the main sacred animal one of them. Interesting.
1: I was kind of scared to bring up this neat thing, but yes, this is also true for Indian culture. It's not uh, it's it's an animal that I think People fear a little bit to some degree.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because most snakes, if you leave them alone, they leave you alone. In my experience, at least, like I've never had a snake just like snap at me before. Okay. It's just just like most animals. You can't, you can't mess with the animals.
1: Yeah. Thankfully, I don't come across that. (laughs) I think we were both in cultures that are like rife with, you know, different cultural superstitions anything like any funny lies that your parents have told you that come to mind funny lies they could be in the vein of superstitions too
0: personally think that the snake thing is pretty funny but i think like i think this is a really common thing in american culture where they lie about santa claus or the tooth fairy or something like that and so i i had the tooth fairy growing up and we used to get money every time we lost a tooth so it got to a point where I, I was trying to save up money because my granddad was like, oh, when you get money, you have to save it, put it in your bank account. Like He started me out young with that. And so my mom would, or the tooth fairy, quote unquote, would put money under my pillow. And so it got to a point where if my teeth were, were slightly loose, I would try to pull it out myself to like get money because I thought it was a good investment to like do that. And so I think, I think that was a funny lie looking back. I mean, my teeth are fine. Like it did nothing bad happen because I pulled them out early, but that was quite a bit of pain like to get money. Um, I also remember that around Christmas, my mom would, she has beautiful handwriting. She would write down like to Whitney from Santa and it would be her handwriting. Uh And I'd be like, Mom, this is your handwriting. Like, are you... (laughs) And my mom would be like, Oh, I just took a temp job with Santa. Like, I'm just trying to help him out. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. He bought these for you. And I was like, okay. And so I just kind of, as a child, like it's, I thought that was really sweet and also hilarious where my dad was like, Oh, Santa Claus is in your heart. So technically he like kind of skirted around a little bit. I would be like, is Santa real? And he'd be like, Oh, he's real in your heart. I thought it was funny.
1: Although we grew up Hindu, we always did have a Christmas tree just to celebrate that season of giving. I don't know what to say about the whole Santa Claus thing. I mean, I think he's probably real, but <laughs> 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 but I do remember when I was little, I did, did uh, write a letter to him with a list of wishes that I wanted for myself and my family. And one of them was really like, I think, uh, really touching because I used to have like poor vision or not used to, I mean, I still do, but like I had a uh, poor vision as a kid. Um, so one of my wishes, I believe, was to have 2020 eyesight. Anyways, my parents intercepted the letter, which I had posted in the mailbox. And I believe I got a reply back from Santa Claus. It was really nice, so yeah, I, yeah, that was a funny and heartwarming lie that I think our parents made for us if we want to say that, and I'm still under the impression that Santa Claus may be real for anyone that's listening, so yes,
0: wait, what does Santa tell you? You can't leave us hanging like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, Thank you for the letter, Anu. I'm going to make all your wishes come true. He was just very affirming. He was like thank you i appreciate it and i'm going to take into account everything you asked me for
0: that's sweet that sounds that's like really formal and like <laughs> yeah it's like the that's
1: asian <laughs> it's like that's the so
0: asian. <laughs> asian oh my god this is like a little off topic but if yeah. you want fresh off the boat there's laoban santa which the mom that's played by constance wu amazing actress she plays an asian mom on the show And I think a lot of Asian, a lot of people who grew up with Asian parents would be like, that's my mom or that's my dad or whatever. But yeah, there's, she has this whole soapbox where she's like, why does Santa have to be white? Why can't Santa be Chinese? And so she has this persona called Laoban Santa. She's like really formal and she has this Chinese inspired Santa outfit. And that's the only Santa her kids have known. Like they they don't, they don't do white Santa in that family. It's Laoban Santa. Oh uh, wow! Well, I thought I thought that was really wholesome and sweet.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't watched that show, but I do love Constance, too, and I think she's amazing.
0: Yeah, those are most of the kind of funny myths. I'm sure there are so many. Like I've I've had so many interactions with my parents.
1: We talked a little bit about certain things that we were told, and I wonder if we can go into like the motivations that our parents had behind you know, telling us these things.
0: My hope is that a lot of, I think most, a lot of people have multidimensional relationships with their parents. And so like for my parents in particular, I think most of it was for protection. I think most of the things, like even if it was horrible for me at the time or really hurtful for me, I think the intention was to, for protection and to prevent my suffering or prevent me from making mistakes that they might have seen coming or my mom might have seen coming. I also feel like sometimes it's easier to just not explain things where it's like, like the word, because I, because I said, so comes to mind where sometimes parents would be like, because I said so. And it seems like that's still a universal parent thing. And I get it. Like sometimes it's just easier to not explain something because your kid is probably just asking you why every day, Mm -hmm. all day, every day. And so I think that's one of the main motivations behind it. I have a story where when I got my first period at 11, and my I was complaining about these awful cramps. I still get awful cramps. And so I was really cramping. And my sister was worried about me. She was like, oh, what's wrong with Whitney? And instead of my mom saying like, oh, this is just something that you... Go through when you're a little older and you start menstruating and all that. Like she was like, "Oh, Whitney's just sick. Don't worry about her." <laughs> and I I think it's it's funny, but I was that also goes with the sometimes it's just she didn't want to explain that at the time and it's just easier. So, in my experience, those are most of the motivations. Even though there are some parents who unfortunately have more sinister motivations behind them, like control or abuse. How yeah. about
1: your experience? I tend to agree especially with my parents guiding me on this path of education, marriage, and so on. Um, I think a lot of that is for protection purposes. They want me to live the life that they think is the best for me, you know? So I think a little bit of it is they maybe made mistakes in their life or they had hopes and aspirations and they're wanting to give us the best lives possible. And, you know, it's their perception that that path is the best path, but may not necessarily be. And uh, again, yeah, there are some, there are some parents who, you know, have different motives like control and so on. The different parents have different motivations. I like to think that most parents are looking out for their kids when they tell them those sorts of things. Most parents are just trying to shape their kids' future in the best way that they know how.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. It's the balance of two cultures, right? Where it's like, I mean, we grew up Asian American. And so it's like, how do you reconcile that with these kinds of things that your children are seeing and going through with your your dreams for your children? I mean, your parents came from India. And so I'd imagine that they... They worked really hard to get to where they were. And so they wanted the same for you. Like my my mom and my dad are a little little different to where my grandmother is from Japan, but my mom was born in Japan on an uh, American base, but grew up here ultimately. And so that definitely shaped, shaped us in different ways as well, where we had that Japanese influence of working really hard and following this life without suffering. And then reconciling that with what is more attainable at the time. In general, I don't hold it against them. Mm -hmm. I think that for the most part, there's no, again, I don't know what it's like to have children, but everyone's trying their best. And there isn't an instruction manual on how to take care of a human being that will ultimately be a part of your life for the rest of your life. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And in most cases. And so it's, I think they do the best what they can with what they have at the time. The hope is that they reconcile that and be like okay, well, what's right for me isn't right for Whitney or something like that. And hopefully that that's my hope for children of the future.
1: Totally. Yeah. One thing I have noticed is a distinction between Asian American parents and American parents. I feel like the American parents, maybe not, and this is a generalization, not every parent, but I feel like generally, they're more willing to have those deep, deeper conversations with their kids and at least for me with my parents um, although they were great I feel like they were those parents that didn't like to delve into harder subjects so they would keep things very surface level and I didn't really have that relationship where I could talk to them about more profound topics it was all very like how was your day? How was school? Those kinds of conversations. That's something I noticed within my own childhood. Did you ever feel like you could have those conversations, those conversations that just delved in a little more? The short answer is
0: no. But I think that, yeah, I definitely relate to that where I think about the conversations now that we have. And I live far away from them now. And so it used to be high house school. And now it's high house work. (laughs) When I was job searching, like it's like, how's the job search? Or it's usually about work or some other really shallow topic.
1: Yeah. And
0: so I find that, unfortunately, I, I also didn't really have that, have that relationship where I could talk about dating or I could talk about interests that I had, or I could talk about passions or, I think I was also afraid that those would be taken away. Like if I were to say something like, um, I have various stories about my friends and I doing these things, like staying out really late, like driving to Salinas and like going to shows and doing various things. But if I told my parents I was doing that at the time, they might have not let me go. And so it's like, I may have have missed out on something just because I opted to give them that info. And so I had that happen a couple of times where I tried to do something. And I tried to be like, oh, we're going to go play basketball or we're going to go to the park or whatever. And then for some reason, they wouldn't want me to go to the park or whatever. And so that sent a message where I was like, okay, well, the less information, the better. And the less trouble I get into. And unfortunately, that has gone into adulthood where it's like, I would hate to... I mean, being an adult is hard in Los Angeles like with the COVID times and everything. And it's like, my life isn't perfect, but I do have a lot to be thankful for. And so... I wish that I was able to talk to my family more about that and to be like, you know, I'm really struggling with with this thing or I'm really trying to figure out what to do with whatever. Like it's, I just wish that I was able to do that. I've never really been able to do that. For me, dating was a little different because growing up growing up as a lesbian, it's like I I didn't really have that at all. Like I, I posed as heterosexual for a very long time um, until I was 17 and then I started coming out to people. And so I didn't really have that. My mom did try to set me up with a few people though. And those obviously didn't work out, but it was, that alienated me a bit. Where I think a lot of parents do that. They try to be like, with my family, it was like marrying within your race, marrying another Japanese person, even though I'm half Japanese. I'm actually engaged to a Jewish person. And so it's like, that didn't work out. But I think with dating, it was it was a tough subject because. It was like, well, not only am I not dating men, I'm also, it's also a completely different world that they quite frankly didn't want me to be a part of, but I very much am proud to be a part of. And so I wish it becomes a little better, but I'm not exactly optimistic.
1: It's funny because we we are talking, this whole episode has been about why as our parents told us, but as Asian kids, I'm sure we can also talk quite a bit about lies we've told our parents <laughs> absolutely that's a future
0: episode for sure like and then i'm gonna call it sorry mom oh like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> uh, that's a great episode like how many times have we said oh i'm studying or i'm doing homework or oh i'm doing this but we're actually up to no good like i can't even count oh like God. i'd be a millionaire for every single time i got money for that
0: Oh my God. Same. I have like, I, I'm thinking about some right now and yeah, no, the episode is going to be called, sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> <Like it's laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to get a phone call and like all that, but <laughs> so it goes.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess we're, we're kind of coming to the close of this episode and just to uh, on a final note, we've talked about lies, you know, we've been told superstitions, funny lies even the motivations behind, lying do you feel like our parents were justified in lying?
0: It's complicated. I mean, I think in some ways, yeah, I think they were justified. Like, as parents, you want your kid Because when a baby's born, right, it's a clean slate. Like, the child is neutral. Like, there's no... They don't have any influences on them yet. So it's your responsibility to do that. And so I guess if I were to put myself in my mother's shoes where it's like, okay, well, I grew up in the fifties and sixties. I'm a Japanese person in California and I have these two girls and I want to protect them and I want them to live this life that has no suffering. What would I tell them? And I think that there's no saying that I wouldn't do the same thing if I were a parent, which is part of the reason why I'm not going to be a parent. But I think a lot of stuff that happen like even though the lies or the myths or the productions even though yes they are justified because of the culture a lot of the stuff with identity was really hard to deal with and I just want to be honest about that it was really hard it's a big influence in shaping kids identity and I think a lot of Asian people go through that where it's like oh my mom told me this or my dad told me this but I'm not going to do it like you always hear about the former engineer who becomes an artist or something like that each of us go through that have that cross to bear. I have experiences where I have white friends who their parents are let them be a little more independent early on, and I was pretty envious of that. They would have a lot of deep conversations. They would joke around with each other. They would cuss around each other. Like I, my mom would police me a lot for cussing as a child or as a teenager. I think here, when you're a teenager, that's just in your vernacular. But yeah, so I think it's it's complicated for sure. I don't fault them, but it, it has shaped who I am.
1: I surprised myself with my answer, but I think my answer is yes. They've gone through their lives and had these experiences and they're trying to then, you know, using their wisdom and knowledge, trying to give us the most comfortable um and easiest life that they know how. And that's sometimes where these like lies originate from. And so I think they're justified, but the one thing I would add is I do feel like as parents and particularly Asian parents I hope in the future that we can just give kids more input into who they want to be, what careers they want to have, who they want to date, settle down with all of those things because I think as we mentioned in in the very beginning of the episode no one knows what what the right path is for each individual person only time will tell and Sometimes the person who knows best is that person themselves, um, what's mm-hmm. going to work for them and what's not. So that's just something I personally would like to see a little more is just more back and forth between kids and parents into different aspects of their life.
0: Yeah. And I hope that we move to a more open minded culture. And, you know, I think when you become a parent, I think you'll definitely be have a big influence in that where you'll definitely be one of those parents who who tries to put them on the right path but ultimately it's their path and I think you'll acknowledge that I'm I'm really thankful for that so that is building community and we want to know what are some things that your parents have told you that have shaped your identity if you really enjoyed this please put a five-star review and some things in the comments and we want to get this out to as many people as possible so if you could just put on your social media pages that would be immensely helpful and we will talk to you soon